Ronananian. How many of you have a yellow tire pressure monitoring light on? You know that light on the dashboard? That's been in cars for the past 10 years or so, maybe a little bit longer depending upon model year, because it was deemed necessary as per the federal government. They decided, hey, we're not checking our tire pressure often enough. We're going to make you do it. We're going to give you a light to annoy you. The car doctor. Something's causing this car to run lean, so the computer is adding fuel to it. So on, on that assumption, then we've got to go and find the vacuum leak. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. Podcasting also, if you don't want to take us out on terrestrial radio in one of the 80-plus affiliates across America, you can get out to cardoctorshow.com and wander over to the podcast section vis-a-vis Spreaker and uh, click subscribe or favorite, however you're doing it, or on your Android device and uh, down on Double Pod or whatever you're using, and uh, click subscribe and uh, take the Car Doctor Show that way, and we thank you for doing that. And just remember, 855-560-9900 is 24-7. Give us a call, and if you happen to miss us, you get the chance and the fortunate opportunity to talk to Big Tom Ray when he calls you back and uh, puts you in the live queue for the next broadcast as you get to leave a message, and we'll follow up with you from there. Well, let me say it like this. I'm up, up in the mound and ready to work, as they say in Major League Baseball games, most teams, and um, let's get over and talk to the phones that are already lit up and talk to Steve in Ohio, 13 Ford F-150, and some uh, problems with a check engine light and oil light. These darn lights on cars, Steve, I don't know why they keep putting them on. Just, you know, sell everybody a piece of duct tape. What's going on, brother? How can I help? Um. Yeah, so... uh I guess this morning my girlfriend, uh, she went to go get in the truck and take off, go go to the bank. But she uh, got in there, turned the key over, engine starts. Um, then she went to, you know, go put it in reverse back up. But the oil lamp light, it kept blinking and lighting up and, you know, making some noises like that. And then the check engine light was staying on. And then she shifted through the gears, but when she put her foot on the gas, the the engine wouldn't even rev up, okay. so it wouldn't go anywhere. So it was just staying there, whether you were in you know reverse or drive, neutral, park, and it wouldn't even rev up. So, so it, I'm it, to it, out. it wouldn't accelerate. Did she? Did she? You know? Did it eventually clear? Was she able to just put it back in park, uh, shut it off, and restart it? And was it okay? No, it's it's still the way it is. It's still doing that problem because I'm not there to take care of it or see what exactly is going on. But so I mean, it'll turn on the engine will start. It just won't accelerate, it won't rev up, nothing right. or move. So you know, we got to make some assumptions, which are dangerous, especially on family radio. <laughs> but you know, first thing we obviously want to know is why is the check engine light on? If it won't accelerate. My educated guess is there's a problem with the throttle control system, drive-by-wire. This has a similar system as cars have had 
for more than a few years now where it's an electronic throttle linkage. There's two sensors at the foot pedal. There's two sensors at the engine, and they're, they're looking for opposing uh, voltages going up and down to stay in sync with each other so the computer has fail-safe methods so that you can't have a runaway throttle or a stuck throttle and so on. The fact okay. that this occurred at the same time as it not being able to move tells me there's likely either an APP, an accelerator pedal position sensor fault, or a throttle position sensor fault in the vehicle. I can't say 100% certainty that the oil pressure light is related, but, yeah. you know, let's, let's start with a code scan and see what fault codes we come up. Now, the only, other, the only other thing I can think of is, is it possible we've got a true mechanical oil pressure problem and they're limiting engine control that way? Because I have seen car companies do that as well, the logic being if the engine doesn't have oil pressure, and obviously this is a lot more serious than a bad sensor, if the engine doesn't have oil pressure, they won't let that car run because they don't want to ruin the engine. So, yeah. you know, basic common sense stuff. Was the oil changed recently at all? Yeah, it was just changed a week ago, and that's why I didn't understand why that would be popping up, or if maybe the people that changed it, if they did something or didn't do something, you know. Well, but you know, yeah, I mean, it's easy to, you know, ever since, the ever since syndrome, but let's start with basics. Yeah. How about let's just check oil level? Um, how about we pop the hood, check the oil level, make sure the oil fill cap is on, and, you know, there's nothing visually askew. If the oil yeah. if the oil level is good and the, it's it's clean and, and where it's supposed to be, then I'm going to vote for. And obviously, I want to do a check engine scan using a scan tool. Just get in there real quick and see what fault codes we have. We can kind of go from there. Um, obviously, I'm not. I'm going to tell you. Well, I don't have to tell you not to drive it because the car the truck doesn't go anywhere anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but I would definitely want to look at oil pressure and definitely look at a code scan before you know before this disappears the fact that it's still there count your blessings right because the fact that yeah. it's still there is an intermittent or it's not an intermittent before it disappears and you know we're talking again next week and the story is hey ron it was there until i did this this and this and now it's gone and now what do i do um yeah. so as, as fast as you can get somebody to scan codes on that vehicle and check the oil yeah. level and then uh and then we can kind of take it from there if we have to yeah that's that's about my only option yeah i mean yeah, yeah, that's all you can do. That's all you can do. It's you know, unfortunately and and maybe someday in the future they'll do it, but I've always said car companies need to think about an option where, you know, your mechanic and, and, and we have that now. Certain scan tools actually give us the ability to remote broadcast in and and look at fault codes. There are some uh, manufacturers that have done it and there's others working on it. But for the consumer, how about we hit these two buttons? This reads out the engine controller codes. This reads out the trans controller codes. At least to be able to call the mechanic up and say, hey, I've got this fault code. Is the car safe to drive? You know, it's, okay. it's but, you know, that's that's probably 10 years down the road, probably right around the time they make flying cars. And, uh, yeah. you know, we won't need gasoline engines anymore. So, all right, kiddo, keep me posted. Let me know what happens. All right, thanks. You're very welcome, Steve. Let's go over to Lee in Vermont, 17F250, and uh, some more trailer towing power. Lee, welcome to the car, Doctor. How can I help? Well, yeah, F250, 6.2 gas, and we're pulling a 10,000-pound, uh, 12,000-pound trailer, which is in the specs for it. But, man, that, that 6.2 with a 400 and where the hell is it, 430 foot-pounds of torque just isn't enough. It just needs and more. My, thought, yeah. my thoughts are, what can I do to get more power out of it? And 
I keep keep coming up with a chip. But, yeah, you know. I, I agree. Um, get yourself out to superchips.com. Um, take a look at one of their tuners. I mean, flat out, I, I, I put one of their tuners in the plow truck, made a huge difference. Offline acceleration, no more stumble, more bottom end, more pulling power. And, you know, it really comes back to, and it's not like we have choice, right? We can't tune anything mechanically anymore. It's not like we can rejet the carburetor. So, you know, we're going to do it electronically. But the Super Chips kit, um, their tuners give you the ability to tune right from the driver's seat. So you don't like the way it feels now? Hit a button, change it. You don't like the way it feels then? Hit another button, change it again. Um, you know, but I, I see people do the Super Chips routine all day long and they're very very happy with it and uh, they're able to tune and calibrate and do what they have to do um you know giving you more trailer pulling power because the only other option is what do you do buy a bigger truck with a diesel or something and um that's a whole you're talking eighty five hundred dollars more to put a put a diesel right. in a ford exactly right Ex- exactly right and i know do I somebody 930 foot pounds of torque i don't think so well and then the issue becomes do you need that all the time you know, I, I was talking to somebody last week. Um, they want to buy a trailer, and it's a question of what vehicle do they buy to pull it. We were talking about Ford pickups, and I said, yeah, Ford makes a great pickup truck. Go buy a Ford. And, you know, do I buy gas? Do I buy diesel? And I had this exact same conversation. I said, you know, for what you can do with an electronic tuning device, uh, such as those from the guys at Super Chips, for what you can do there for the price difference, you know, you've really got to need that diesel. You've really got to need that uh, for something else, for another reason. But if all you're doing is trailer towing and, the, you know, Monday through Friday, it's the go-to-work truck or the commute vehicle or, or something else, that diesel, never mind the $8,500, the cost of maintenance over the life of the truck, uh, in my opinion, goes up because diesels are just particular animals. They require a little more, you know, a little more TLC and, 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 and care. So, um, by all means, you know, I mean, superchips.com. You can't, I knew that, you can't too. Go the, the, yeah. the maintenance on the diesel is much more expensive. Than well, it's, and it's much more exacting. A diesel, is, a diesel is very intolerant of poor maintenance or lack of maintenance. And, you know, for that reason, you've really got to be prepared to take care of it. And I don't I mean, know I'm, that, I'm not a problem guy with maintenance. I do it, right. do it regularly right. and, and where it's supposed to be. And, and, and staying ahead of that, I'm a firm believer in that, and it's always worked. But in the past, we had a 150 with a with the EcoBoost and and pulling a 9,000 pound trailer loaded, and I never lacked for power with that at all. Now, of course, we're 3,000 pounds heavier and we've got a bigger truck, and it's just and we weren't in the mountains this year. Last last three years, we've been 10,000, 12,000 feet high in the mountains, and that EcoBoost did the job. Yep. It'd be nice if Ford made a V8 EcoBoost and. <laughs> life would be good yeah but it's, it's not that way and next year we're talking about going to alaska and, and doing a really long trip and uh, and this year we're stayed in the southeast and it, it just to me when you're pulling at 40 you're trying to do 45 miles an hour and it's 4500 rpms to 5000 rpms that's not good for the engine no you're working it way too hard that's what that's yeah, that, that's why you want that's why you want to tune it yeah no absolutely yeah, that's sweet I, I really believe something's got to be done, and I didn't really want to go to the intake, the exhaust. I mean, you still got to go through the engine and the limitations there. So, and everybody I've talked to says chip, chip, yep. chip. So, yep, yep. Superchips.com. You won't be disappointed. Chips. All right, sir. I have one more question. Yeah, for real you. quick. Real quick. Uh, it, it likes to squat when we put the trailer on, so we're we're at, we're at the we're at the max tongue weight or, or the trailer weight, and 
I've used airbags before. I really didn't like them. They seem like a high-maintenance item, at least they were on the 150, and helper springs as versus airbags. Okay. So which, I, I don't understand your, your question. Thought. I'll tell you what, Lee. Stay right there. Hold that thought. Let me pull over and take this pause so I don't run too late. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Don't call us. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Welcome back. Let's get over and talk to Lee. Lee, you're still there, sir, Vermont? Yeah, still am. So go ahead. Finish up with your uh, question about uh, Lee Springs, I think you were going about. So as so you said, the, the weight of the trailer squats the, the truck quite a bit. So right. thoughts are airbags or, or, or helper springs or overload springs, whatever they want to call them. I, I like a bigger uh, spring. I like something mechanical. All right, and and the reason being is because the likelihood of a mechanical spring breaking, to me in my mind, isn't as isn't as common. I think airbags are a little more fragile as the truck gets older. Um, I like a mechanical spring, and maybe you do a mechanical spring with a an airbag system that you can use to adjust and help you know control the way that the the truck rides shift weight wise. You don't have to always have to run it at a maximum load. You know, you don't have to blow the balloon up so big, if you know what I'm saying. So Absolutely. I, I, I think a mechanical, a metal leaf spring, and maybe a helper airbag, if I can say it like that. The only caution I want to make is, this is an F-250, you know, I worry about trying to make an F-250 do what a 350 should be, if you know what I'm saying. Nope, not and, looking to do that. Yeah, just okay. To, you know, we're, we're with just within the specs of of the 250, okay. so I'm not going over, but I'm looking to cut some of that squat out of the back yeah, end of it when we set that let's, trailer let's, down on it. Let's let's put an extra leaf in it, and you know, and then if we want, just for the you know, we'll call it uh, peace of mind, we can put a couple of airbags in the back there, and when we have to, add a couple of pounds to it, nothing crazy, and um, give you just a little bit more support. You know, I just I, I well, just. I just like that a whole lot better than just depending upon an airbag because if you're driving, I, mean, I, I, I found that with the, the airbags I had on before, they were always, you know, they, sometimes they'd leak down. But right. now we we parked the trailer. We're going to park it for three days and we're going to drive three or four hundred miles. We're going to let the air out of the airbags, right. Right. and then we're hooking it up, put the air in the airbags. Where uh, an o, and I'm thinking overload springs. So the only time they come into play is when the, 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 the weight's on the back end, then that picks up the weight, and the rest of the time you're riding on the regular 250 springs. Right, it rides like a truck. It rides like, it, it rides like it's supposed to, and that's, and that's, that's my oh, point. You know? The 250 doesn't ride like the 150. There's no question right. about yeah. that. And you don't, you don't need to be on the ride to Alaska you know, dealing with airbags that are um, uh, dealing with airbags that might be leaking, etc. So, Lee, I appreciate the call. Thank you, and uh, have fun on the trip. Send us some pictures. Uh, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. We'll put them up on the Facebook page. Enjoy the road. Let's get over and talk to Beth in Maine, 2013 Ford Explorer, and some problems with blowing fuses. Beth, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Thank, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What's going um, on? So this is a vehicle I purchased new and uh, back in 2012 and intermittently over the years, it started in 2014, started having problems with a blown fuse, an F4, and um, the first time it happened, 
there were multiple things I took the car in for electrical issues. One was the interior lights on the second and third row, plus the lift gate lights were not working. Um, they had found something to do with a short in the vanity mirrors on the passenger side and driver's side, and the radio would not come on. So that was when it all began. And then over the years, there have been, uh, I think, one or two that I can't seem to find the paperwork on, but I brought it back in again recently um, in January and again in June, and it's the same exact fuse as blowing every time okay. and now they're telling me of course it's no longer under warranty so what they want to do their next steps is to put in inline fuses and to see you know where the concern arrives or or it, if it even returns again and to chase those circuits down um to keep isolated you know and I'm thinking this is just I'm seeing dollar signs yeah. in this, and and it's it started way back when the car was under warranty, and of course Ford is not really interested in in participating in chasing an electronic issue, which can be elusive. Didn't know if you've seen this. Haven't seen that particular problem, but I like what they're doing. I have to tell you. Um, you, you ever you ever string Christmas lights and the the lights don't light? Yes. And where do you start? Right. You True. do you start in the middle or do you start at the ends? I'm a start. I'm a start in the middle guy. All right. I start in the middle and I pick a direction. And, you know, that's basically what they're doing with the fuse. They're 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 taking a fuse and they're putting it in the middle of the circuit and seeing which which, which blows. Does the F4 fuse continue to blow, which tells them the, the, the fault is that way. If it's they're one of the new ones they add, it tells them the, the blow is the other way. At least they're they're splitting the circuit down into smaller circuits to get a, de a direction and a definition. So what they're doing is correct. The you know should it have been done under warranty? You know you, you need the wisdom of Solomon for one of these, Beth. And I think the answer becomes you can't answer it, and they can't answer it until they fix it. Correct. Because, and I think you have to approach them with that. You've got to at least say, are they open to that? You, you know, it's, it's because when they find that the wiring harness was pulled too tight around the tailgate or around a corner and it cut into a seam that, you know, and then they can go, yeah, okay, we did this wrong at the factory. You know, maybe then they'll give you some consideration. I had a Taurus last year that was blowing the fuse for the shift interlock. And this was a this was a 14 year old Taurus, and the overhead dome lights, the shift interlock wouldn't work, and a few other things. When I tracked it down, the wiring harness coming out of the center pillar, the one just behind the driver's seat, the wiring harness went down and around, looped around the front seat frame. When they put the seat in at the factory, they pinched the harness. It took 14 years for it to work its way up to get aggravated. Go back to Ford, see what they say, and uh, take it from there. Call me back if you need more help. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. Hey, Yvette from Vanderbrink Auctions is coming up next. Don't go away. We'll be back right after this. Ronanini and the car doctor. Our next guest gets to, well, I don't know if she considers it work. I think it's fun, although I'm sure there's a work ethic here or there's a work side of this that uh, kind of wears you out. But um, go to go do something you love every day of your life and you'll never work a day of your life. And uh, I'm not sure if Yvette's going to agree with me. Yvette Vanderbrink, Vanderbrink Auctions. Welcome back, darling. How are you? 
Hey, how are you? All right. Gee, you know, it's got to be like going to the toy store every every day, getting to do what you do, picking up these uh, auctions to distribute and, 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 you know, disperse out dreams that people have of, you know, reliving their childhood or making new ones. You know, it really is fun. I, it, um, you know, you walk into one of these barns where people have had their collections and, you know, like when I went up for last November up to Michigan for Tom Brown's auction, we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks. I mean, I went in this uh, one of three buildings, and it's full of Camaros, Chevelles. I mean, I was flashing back to my high school high school years, you know, in the '80s when everybody could buy those things for five hundred bucks, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can't help but think, and I watched the YouTube video, and for those of you just tuning in, we're talking to a bit Vanderbrink, Vanderbrink Auctions. There's a big one going on. This is outside Kalamazoo, Michigan, coming up, Yvette? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we've actually got a few of them, and uh, this is outside Kalamazoo, Michigan, and it's a gentleman named Tom Brown, and he uh, bought for years and years in the 70s and 80s out in California, would bring them back to Michigan and sell them, and then he would keep some for himself. And he had two tragic events uh, some years ago. His son and his daughter died, and uh, he just quit, just shut the doors. Yeah. And uh, and he now has realized in his 70s that, you know, it's time for this stuff to go away. And so a lot of guys, when I was up there, I was talking to them, they thought he had died too. And so... Um, you know, because he was the man back then. And so it's interesting that uh, this is his collection. And I, I mean, we must have 20 Camaros from 67 to 82, and I bet there's 10 69s and, uh, you know, 20 Chevelles. And, I mean, it's just the list goes on. It's crazy. Do you ever think, you know, where does this end or when does this stop? Do you, do you ever go to the barn finds and say, okay, there can't be another collection like this out there, and then three months later... You find the next one. Does it ever come to an end, event? No, not really. Um, I just did another one similar to this in, in uh, South Dakota in uh, June, which was all Mopars. And uh, back in the same time frame, they had called me, and uh, we went up to South Dakota to a farm, and there was 112 Mopars on this farm. And it was everything from Roadrunners, Super Bees, there was a 70 Roadrunner convertible. You know, they only made 824 of them. And there was projects. They were all projects. But uh, this was a farmer who loved Mopars. In fact, he still had his 70 Challenger and 70 Cuda high school cars. Wow. He never got rid of anything. And that auction, actually, if you go and find uh, August Hot Rod magazine, uh, it's on the front cover. Wow. I think I saw that, the barn find. Yeah, the steering wheel. There's a steering yeah. wheel in the shot, and there's a, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. And uh, we worked with that one, and a lot of cat crap on that one. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's always really fun. I just was working with a family here also in Wisconsin that called me in the winter here, and they couldn't get in there, and the herd, his wife's dad had died. And he goes, I don't know, it looks like junk to me. And uh, so I went out there. I said, well, what's in there? And he goes, well, it's Cadillacs and Buicks. And I said, do you have any pictures? Well, he took a very dark picture. And I said, is there anything with big fins on it? Oh, yeah. And so I uh, got <laughs> pictures and went out there this spring. And uh, they finally, we finally got them out the beginning of June. Took them out of this building that was full of raccoons, horrible little animal. And... Um, 
Anyway, there's 1159 Cadillacs in this thing. Oh, my gosh. And there are two 59 Cadillac convertibles. Eldorado Brits has only made 1,320. And when I was doing inventory, um, the husband came out and he goes, is there anything here, Yvette, that's worth anything? And I said, you are kidding me, aren't you? And he goes, no, we were going to crush it. And I was wow. like, oh, my gosh, you're serious. Oh. And as I'm doing inventory, here's a 53 Buick Skylark convertible. Again, less than a handful remaining. And that was Grandpa's car, family car. And so there were 40 total, and that is an online-only auction that we're doing um, because of the location where they're at. You can't get anybody in there, and we've moved some. And But it's always fun. You know, there is one thing, and, I mean, I talked to the guys at Hemmings, which is, you know, Hemmings Motor News and Old sure. Cars Weekly, and we talk about the future of the hobby, whereas at our auctions, 32 and under is not there. 32 years and younger is not there, but why aren't they there? Well, and that was going to be, you know, that was going to be one of my questions. Where, you know, as as the older folks, that's me now, right? You know, it's, it's yeah. but my kids aren't interested in hot rods. I mean, they like it, Dad's no. car, they but, you know, it's not... They're not going to be chasing that Hemi Cuda for a million dollars or whatever it is, you know, 10 years from now. They could care less. What happens to the hobby? Well, we've been talking a lot about that, actually, and, and I have a theory on that or a hypothesis, you should say, is we need to uh, talk. I mean, we need to communicate. And so it would be like when I grew up in South Dakota, my dad collected Chevrolet. And we went in the pickup and in the truck and in the car with him, and we could spot 57 Chevy Finns sticking through trees. And that's what my dad collected was 57 Chevrolets. And so we were along everyone. We knew all the stories. You know, we knew Grandpa's cars. The family was more a family unit. You did everything together. And I'm not saying it's bad, but everybody's doing everything and got their own agenda, and we're losing all these stories. So... What do you, why would you collect? You collect what you remember. Yeah. You collect what has meaning. So, like, my kids grew up with my husband and I as collectors, and we have Chevelles and internationals, believe it or not, and uh, um, Chevelles and pickups and a bunch of tractors. And anyway, you know, so my kids know my husband's 55 Stepside, 55 Chevy, and they were little kids riding in that. And they know my 65 Chevelle. And so you buy what you have memories for. So if we don't communicate, take our kids to shows, take and talk to Grandpa, take and tell those stories, you are not going to buy what you remember. So we're as an auctioneer, we're selling a lot of our heirlooms and heritage. And uh, when we have... I'm not saying anything bad about younger people because my daughter's a millennial and she's wonderful and I know a lot of other ones, but, you know, I'm 53 and I still grew up with my mom at home and my dad at home on the farm and we did everything. And uh, those stories were there. We were at grandpa's three times a week, you know, and and uh, so, you know, you went to farm sales, you did everything, you talked to everybody and every neighbor knew everybody and and um, you had a lot of stories. You communicated face to face. Yeah, and that's and where I the, think we need. Yeah, and need I think to do we that. need to get people involved in car shows, tell stories, and talk. 
tell those stories that families have. Hey, real quick, Yvette, before I let you go, I, I was looking at the yeah. list of what's available up there at the auction in, in, in 60 seconds or less. A big, oh, yes. a big block Chevelle station wagon with a four-speed? Yeah. <laughs> I saw that, and I went, I didn't even know they made that car. That's real? Very few. Very, very few. Yeah, 400 four-speed. It's insane. You know, and we've got multiple tri-power Corvettes. There's an LS6 Chevelle. There's uh, a 68 Camaro with 10,600 miles. What the heck? Spent its whole life racing for the famous Berger Chevrolet. It's just really wild, and it's always fun. The biggest thing for me is working with these families, yeah. you know, like the family in Wisconsin, getting them some money because she was just tired of dealing with this stuff. And I'm, it just is a joy for me to go in and help these people. When, when, when does this take place, Yvette? Give us, the, give us the skinny real quick. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on. You can check the website, VanderbrinkAuctions.com. But do, uh, excuse me, August 25th, 9 a.m., Kalamazoo, Michigan, about 15 miles outside is Vicksburg, and we're going to be on a farm, literally middle of nowhere, and selling 67 muscle cars plus five huge loads of big block parts. Cool beans. Uh, VanderbrinkAuctions.com. I'll, I'll, I'll do that again when I come back from the break. Yvette, i got to go. I'm up against the clock. As always, always, always fun to talk. <laughs> Listen, you um, you stay in touch, all right? Don't disappear on me. You bet. All right, you take okay, good bye care. Bye-bye. I'm Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Ron and Andy, the Car Doctor. Let's go over and talk to Sandy in Wisconsin, 07 Chevy Aveo. Sandy, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I had talked to you before about the blinking, uh, flashing engine, check engine light. It flashes sometimes and it's steady, either one or the other, all the time. Okay. And um, you asked me to go get some codes, and so I've got the code numbers. Yeah, what were they? Uh, there's four of them. I don't know if these are zeros or O's, but it's like P0303. P O three O O P O three O one P O three O two. Okay, so it's it's reporting misfires on various cylinders in the engine. Okay. All right. Does the engine run rough? When I take off, when I'm driving it, it kind of pushes. It kind of cuts out as I after I shift. If I step on it too hard, it will hesitate briefly and several different times okay. and I shift down or else once I get it going it goes okay but when I go up this steep winding hill I used to be able to go up in fifth gear now it takes I sometimes have to put it down into third gear and my son told me I shouldn't drive it home up that we have steep winding hills over a mile long right and, right. the, and that's when it, when I notice the most problem. That's when it really starts flashing a lot. Sandy, and, re refresh my memory. So it's it's got a check engine light and it doesn't run well. Has a mechanic looked at this yet? I don't recall that part of our conversation. Uh, he, I, well, I took it over here and he checked the codes because you you told me before get the code numbers. Right. And I was going to have this looked at. Um, one person said the timing belt. I have fifty seven thousand eight hundred miles on it right now, and he thought the timing belt change would be the, the only thing that would be needed. But then, if the check engine light goes on, then there would be more diagnosis to make. And I wondered if it's even worth getting it fixed with a bunch of repairs that are also 
One is, this is for the control arm bushings they're pulling through $430. I'm just talking about some yeah. of the other. Well, let's, let's back up a minute because I've only got a limited amount of time. Um, let's talk about the misfire faults. Uh, you ever mow the lawn? I have in the past. But okay. You ever, you, ever start the, you ever start the lawnmower and it doesn't run smooth? I guess. Yeah, it kind of chugs. Maybe you forgot to take the choke off and the engine starts to run rough and then you put the choke off and it runs okay. Right. Um, I usually had someone else start it for me, so I'm not familiar with that. All right. Well, the point becomes that even a simple little one-cylinder lawnmower engine can run rough. And the way you would diagnose that is pretty much the way you would diagnose your Aveo engine. It's the same thing. Is it ignition? Is it mechanical? Or is it fuel-related? For someone to say it's a timing belt, I, I just don't see it. I mean, it's, it's, it's possible that the belt jumped a tooth, but then why did the belt jump a tooth? So there's some diagnosis that has to be had. I, I think the best advice I can leave you with is find a mechanic that will diagnose why it's misfiring and get that repaired first before you get anything else repaired or at least get it diagnosed. Get it, pay for a diagnosis, all right? You know, walk into a repair shop. What do you charge to diagnose something? What do you think it's going to take? Here's the information I've got so far. For, if somebody says, well, I think it's this or I think it's that, thinking isn't diagnosing. Thinking is a guess, all right? I diagnosed it to this. That's a diagnosis. That's what you need, darling. You've got to go and get that done now before you spend any more money on control arms and timing belts and anything else. So let's leave it there. I've got to go. I'm up against the clock. Get a diagnosis for the misfire faults. If the car is broken now, it should be fairly clear-cut to diagnose. I can fix every broken car that somebody ever put in front of me. I would think a lot of other mechanics can, too. 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Welcome back, Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We are here just uh, winding things down. I got Lucy the Wonder Dog in here with me. She lies down on the floor. She says, I've had enough. Look, I'm putting the dog to sleep. Is that good or bad? Uh, quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, I've been a longtime fan of your radio show. Anyhow, I remember you not being too supportive of the Audi 4 6, either new or from a lease return due to maintenance expense, especially north of the 60,000 mile level. I don't know if this is still true. And actually, that's not true. This is from uh, Craig. Um, that's not necessarily true. It's not that I'm not a fan. I just want people to have reasonable expectations. I should, I should preface things right here and say, you know, you've got to realize cars are a lifestyle. How much lifestyle can you afford? You know, if you're a cup of coffee from 7-Eleven person and you decide all of a sudden to upgrade to Starbucks, and maybe that's... That's yeah, not a bad analogy, right? Because 7-Eleven, the cup of coffee is... Tony, how much is a cup of coffee at 7-Eleven? It's got to be, what, two and a half, three bucks? I don't know. I usually get my coffee from the man on the corner in Manhattan, which is a dollar. A dollar, right. And then for you, for an upgrade, it would be to go into Starbucks, right? Yes, and um, my, my, my wallet won't allow me to do that. Right. That's, what, five bucks, six yes. bucks? Yeah. Right. At least. So, you know, going from, you know, an everyday a Ford, a Chevy something more mainstream to an Audi is really going from that dollar cup of coffee to the $5 cup of coffee. It's a lifestyle change. So it's not that I think they're bad cars, but they're expensive to maintain and support, and that's the key. Anyway, Craig goes on to write, I was wondering if this is true of the new Gulf GTI 2-liter turbo with a six-speed stick. I like the car, but don't want to acquire a money pit. I hope you can help keep up the good work. Thanks for your help, Craig. Cars are a lifestyle for Craig and everybody else. You know, Buy something you like. When it breaks, you won't mind fixing it. When it needs maintenance, you won't mind maintaining it. But, you know, is it a terrible car? 
You know what? There's a butt for every seat. I'm saying that clean because it's radio. You got to like the car. And if you like the car, you won't mind spending money on the car. They do tend to say it like this. Higher line vehicles tend to require more high line repairs and maintenance during the life of it. But that's the lifestyle. I'm Ron Annie and the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Everybody.